You're listening to a CNA podcast. Hello, followers of our little podcast, Money Talks. You're back with me, Andrea Heng. This is a podcast that discusses your money and the things you could do and you should do with it. Just a little reminder there. Now, before we get into today's episode, let me say that we really enjoy the comments that you're leaving us. Ross Reyes commented on our Spotify page on the episode, Can You DIY Your Way to Financial Success? Remember that one? So Ross says, very informative, would be great to have a more in-depth discussion on which specific platforms to use for DIYing. Ross, we hear you. We're going to work on that. So thanks for the idea. Please keep that feedback coming. We love to hear from you. And you can check out all our episodes in the meantime on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as on CNA.Asia and the CNA app as well. So back to today's topic. Here's the scenario. You've been offered a job in another country and you're bubbling with excitement of this prospect. After all, a glitzy, glamorous, jet-setter life abroad awaits. Let me stop you there. Before you get ahead of yourself, there's a lot to consider, practically speaking, and we want you to be ready. And we mean fully prepared for what's to come, for your wallet especially. Think moving expenses, rent, transport. How much will you end up spending on food on average in this new country? What about overseas insurance? Ultimately, how do you not go broke in this new adventure? To help me navigate this journey <laughs> are two quite famous people, He Reeming and Go Wei Chun of the Woke Salary Man. You might have come across their content on social media. I'm really pleased to have them in the studio with me. Thank you for joining us on Money Talks, gentlemen. Yay, thank you for having us. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be, to be here. So, first things first, have either of you moved abroad for work before? So technically, right, I have been working abroad since day one because I'm from Malaysia. Ah. So I, I studied here since I was seven years old. Okay. Go back and forth on a causeway every oh my day. Oh that must have been so exhausting. It's exhausting, but I, I think it's all I knew since I was seven years old, so I got used to it. It's normal for you. Yeah, so actually this idea of working abroad, it's been my normal forever. Mm. But, you know, there are a lot of sacrifices. That's why I think it's good for me to talk about also. Like, yeah. You know, when it comes to family and stuff. Like exactly. So yeah. what's generally, what's been your experience just going back and forth like that every single day almost? So there are people who still today, as adults, right, they work in Singapore and they stay in Malaysia and they mm. make that commute every day. Yeah. And what you often hear is that people say, hey, don't think they're very poor thing because they go back in Malaysia, the money is three times, you know, and the spending yeah, power is very high. Yeah, that seems to and be that's the true. Mindset. But you know, the toll on the body to make that commute every single day is brutal. Mm-hmm. Like like the kind of, not just physical, but mental stress and pressure that you feel. So I think it's something that you can do when you're younger. Right. But as you get older and older, that window, like it becomes harder to do that kind of thing yeah. sustainably and long term. Mm. Anything from you, Rumi? Well, I mean, I did my internship overseas in, in Hong Kong. Oh, for yeah, how long? Nine months. Wow. Yeah, and That's then, pretty long yeah, for an that, internship. Yeah, I worked a year as a video editor in Australia as well. Oh, nice. Okay, so the first thing that comes to my mind about moving overseas for work is, of course, the costs that are involved, right? I mean, we talked about the physical toll on the body and, of course, the worldly experiences that you gain. But, of course, a lot of people almost miss this component of moving abroad for work and accepting that job. So I have a lot of stuff possessions-wise and I want to bring a good amount of it with me to this new place. But that 
does involve more cost, wouldn't it? You know, mm. bring or buy there. How do I make this decision? Well, in general, I I actually choose to buy the things there mm. unless that they're really like sentimental things. Sure. I mean, you don't want to bring like toiletries over and right? that's like a <laughs> that's, true. that's like a silly thing. I think now you're sentimentally attached to your toothbrush or something. <laughs> okay, I have to have. This. Okay, maybe. Oh, we have yeah. to have a different discussion about this. <laughs> okay. Toothbrush. But then also, I think nowadays it's a lot easier as compared to the past. You know, in the past, people relied a lot, a lot on desktop computers. Nowadays, mm-hmm. a laptop is very, very powerful. So I think a lot of things that you need are actually just you know your laptop furniture. You don't really need it there, right? Mm. I will actually buy there. Okay. In every country, there's like a cheap furniture equivalent. Yeah, so. and the same for clothes and. A apparel and footwear everything basically mm. yeah mm. so in general I would think buy most of the things that I think that makes more sense unless you know you can fit on your luggage you know I, I think oh, like I wish. for some airlines you know they give 30kg mm-hmm. baggage allowance that is more than enough for if you're going for 6 months to to 1 year mm. freightage is expensive uh, to add on the luggage and stuff and I feel like that's why I still think younger do better because you have less stuff. <laughs> You've accumulated less important things on your journey. Actually, that's true. I guess mm. your level of sentimentality is a bit lower yeah. when you're younger also. Yeah. You tend to have be willing to leave things behind, yeah. I guess, right? I mean, now like I'm in my 30s, I have a cat. You have you two know. cats? Yeah, two cats. Oh Aww. my god, I forgot my other cat. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I think I know which cat you forget. Yeah. I tell the cat. Okay. So oh no. <laughs> I have two cats. Makes it For very me. difficult to... Have you ever brought them overseas, overseas before? No, I haven't. Because, you know, there will be like a quarantine pos- exactly. pos- procedure and everything. Yeah. Uh, my friend told me that when he was relocating back from China to, mm. to Singapore, uh, I think they spent like, I think 5 to 7k <gasps> on the, the, the cat fees. And just then, the cat fees. Yeah, just the cat fees really? and the transport everything. And oh. then even in Singapore, there's a quarantine period also, yes. which, you know, is very stressful Wait, for the so expensive five to seven to transport the cat? No, I mean... You can buy like, a new cat with the bright money. Right? Yeah, but it's different, right? You don't want... It's like... <laughs> Look for roughly the same one that I have that one. I don't think pet ownership works that way, Richard. I don't think it works that way. Okay, so buy there. Buy most of the buy things there. there. Maybe a cat. Who knows? <laughs> no, that one cannot. Remember, cannot, cannot. Okay. cat is a long-term commitment. That is know? true. Yeah. That is true. Maybe not something to leave behind, I guess. if I guess it depends on how long you think you're going to be there. If you're going to mm. be there for years on end, then maybe, yeah, bringing your cat over is something that's worth your while. Hopefully, the cat can mm. stomach the experience of quarantine. I know that it's not very comfortable. Okay, so I also have to consider where I'll be staying in mm-hmm. terms of my lodgings, right? Mm. Is the decision process as straightforward as, say, you know, buying a home here in Singapore where I'm thinking about my budget, I'm thinking about what I can financially afford based on my CPF and my earnings, that sort of thing? I think one thing we tend to take for granted here in Singapore is safety. You know, I think in Melbourne, there are like certain neighbourhoods you just wouldn't, you know, hang out after yeah. a certain time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think I was once like almost marked by people. Ooh. Yeah, but hey, I run fast, you know. <laughs> I, I pretty go that time. Uh, so, that's pretty good. That uh, time. That yeah, time. I love that. So, so, I mean... <laughs> Often, right, things are affordable. I mean, they are affordable for a reason. It's all about what is yeah. your lifestyle and how well you can adapt to the surroundings. Mm, mm. Uh, but I think in general, first year, I would stay like close to the workplace. Right. Then I'll pay a bit more mm. just to get some lessons in, you know, know where to avoid, mm. make friends and stuff. Mm-hmm. Then after that, you can start moving out slowly and slowly. Right, right. So it looks like that first year might be a bit more expensive stay on the safe, wallet. Yeah, yeah. yeah, pay a bit more to be safe. Mm. I think like in Singapore, the thing that is very different about Singapore is that Singapore doesn't really have that difference between suburbs and city centre. But uh. in other countries, uh, they're big like KL, you have it. In New York, you have it. Yeah, you have different districts have and locales, yeah, right? You can choose to like commute for way longer mm-hmm. to save money. 
But then safety is really a big issue also. Yeah. So that's a mm. very good strategy actually. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I mean, spend also, more first although you, you brought so up well. a very good point, right? You have to think about the commute. That commute is also going to cost you money whether yeah. you own your own vehicle or not. Mm. So how should I think about that then? That commuting becomes an expense that you have to bear. And if you're talking about that first year, you're choosing, I guess, a shorter distance to commute. So mm. you're saving that much. But then when you start moving out, Whatever, I guess, extra yeah. that you save on rent, do you think that then goes to your cost of commuting? Yeah, either you buy a car mm-hmm. or you spend the time. So if you take the train for one hour to get into the city centre and then cram with everybody else. And that's not very pleasant also. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I think Rimi will agree with this. Learn to cycle. Yeah. Ah, uh, cycle lah. Huh? Not in Singapore lah. Uh, not in Singapore lah. I'm sorry. But if you go, I say like Europe, the integration of cycling is so phenomenal. It does save a lot more money. Mm, I mean, yeah. you have your bike. You buy yeah. this, even if yeah. you buy a thousand dollar bike, a fancy one, yeah. it's going to, your ROI on that bike. It's going to start getting it back very Exactly. Quickly, yeah. And you get better fitness and health. Yeah, also, that's why you start biking from the city centre first. Then you get fitter, you can cycle longer mm. and then go out. Strategy. Right? Yeah, I think you guys will be surprised by like how much the price difference can be like just 5km from the city centre. Mm. Right? It can be like even like maybe half or even yes. 60% of the price. Yeah. Wow. And you've seen this in Melbourne. Yeah. So that's transport sorted out. How do I start budgeting for personal expenditure in a new country, right? So... For example, I imagine my personal expenditure in Ho Chi Minh City would vary greatly from my personal expenditure in London, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the cost of F&B alone is going to be so different and it's quite a crucial point. You've got to feed yourself every day and you want to go and socialise with your colleagues, find new friends. How do I weigh that in then? I think got like a few questions you'd ask yourself. I think the first one is whether after this like working experience... Do you want to be like in a financially stronger position or you do you just want to be here for the experience? That's an excellent question, oh. yes. Yeah, because sometimes, let's say you move to London, right? Maybe they're paying you more. But maybe the cost of living there is also higher. Mm-hmm. Then you might end up saving less. Yeah. Then let's say you go Ho Chi Minh, they, they pay you like maybe same as your Singapore salary. But then cost of rent is cheaper, cost of living is lower, you actually get to save more. Mm. So I think it's all about what you want to achieve at the end of your time there. Mm. And then based on that, then you can decide how you want to live your life. Yeah. <laughs> I also think it depends on what kind of person you are. Like. I'm very naturally a very homebody, so I don't actually spend a lot of money on going out and stuff. That's a fair point. I mean, it yeah. depends on your personality as well, yeah. right? And what also you what you're looking for. So that might affect the, the kind of cities that you choose to move to. If you want nightlife, then you move to a certain kind of place. If you want to move to a rural place and expect to have nightlife, I think not very reasonable, la, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so who who are you and what do you want in life? And your right? expect your expectations in general. Yeah. Okay, those are really good questions to ask yourself. So one thing I think many of us actually don't really think about when we take a job overseas is our financial setup, the bank mm. account, yeah. a valid debit or credit card. Mm. We often think that oh, you know, it's got the serious logo on my card <laughs> I can use it anywhere yeah. it's not necessarily they'll true they'll charge you for it they'll charge you for <laughs> it there are lots of restrictions as well and then there's also the question of cash versus digital some countries and cities are more yeah. digitally savvy than others Tokyo is a great example of that Hong Kong also it's like your kid starting all over again so Walk us through the considerations here. For example, can I set up a bank account here in Singapore and then be able to use it overseas? I think the best case scenario is like you have a bank that, that kind of, you know, works across both countries. Mm-hmm. I, I think you have that in Hong Kong. I think DBS, you know, does both Singapore and Hong Kong, mm-hmm. you know, with a multi-currency account, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But also, I've heard of people, you know, being paid in Singapore dollars into their Singapore bank account. Right. Then they use a service like WISE. So basically, money transfer yeah. services yeah, yeah. Yeah. and platforms. Yeah, so they'll transfer, like, I think, six months things 
at once. The benefit of that is? Uh, I think lower transfer fees because right. you transfer like in bulk just one time, right? So you, but then if you do that, it'll be stuck in your Singapore account. So let's say you're only transferring out per three months. I think six months is a bit of a stretch for mm. me. If you do three, every quarter, you're going to transfer that out to your local account. That's still three months of a shortfall that I have to make sure I have enough of for my daily expenses, correct? Yeah, but if you're moving overseas, you should have an emergency fund safe time anyway. Because oh, you know, yeah, like the, true, uh. the, the first, yeah. let's say, two, three months, right? That's going to mm. be brutal. There'll be a lot of unexpected costs. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, like the rental deposit, hey, how come so much, man? Yeah. yeah. Or sometimes, you, know, you might find it hard to have people rent to you because you're a foreigner. Mm. Sometimes yeah, you're like, right. you, it's not foreigner, Singapore, don't know whether so I can stay in hotel a few nights first. Yeah, that, that, then Which you, also costs money, by yeah, the way, right? More, yeah. Yeah. And maybe they push you to like the more, how you say? Expensive Opportunistic stuff. landlords that will charge you more because they know this nice you I can yeah. knock on you. Is that I nobody can take advantage one, right? of yeah. you. Higher. <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. So there are a lot of things. That's actually a very key piece of homework, right? Having mm. enough of financial cushion going there and then yeah. also doing your homework about what kind of market you're going to yeah. enter yeah. in terms of rental and all that. Yeah. How much you, you're going to have to set aside. Is there a ballpark figure you think in sing dollars at least would it be fair to ask what kind of ballpark figure you think we should set aside if we were going to move there or maybe if not a ballpark figure maybe a, a duration time frame you should base it on what roughly your expenses will be in the other country mm. so if you google you can find one usually mm-hmm. now what's the average monthly expenses mm. for expat living in here or here mm-hmm. yeah. then base that I think I would say six months la. Yeah. six months of that roughly average expenses in that target country. Mm. Yeah, I think I have a two-pronged approach. So the first one is to have liquid savings of a certain amount that can tank all kind of emergencies that happen. Mm -hmm. And the second one is really you got to do your due diligence. You got to find out in the long term for me to have life in two cities or have life in this city, how am I going to do that? What options available to me? The thing that always struck me the most was that I remember being blown away, you know, when you see uh, a lot of these migrant workers queuing up to send money, right? And I'm like, why are they queuing up to send money? And why does money cost money to send? I thought, it's just number on the screen, right? What's all this? Why is this so difficult? But actually, there's a real logistical process. And you gotta pay for it because these services do a good service and somebody's gotta pay for it. And that transfer costs money. Everything costs money. I was blown away when I found out. It's just number only. I just buy it now, right? Yeah, you would think it's as easy as transferring money to your friend like the way we do a pay now, right? It's really not. I mean, they are trying to make it easier now with all those uh, apps that you were talking about mm. but ultimately yeah it's still a service that you have to pay for and it's another expense that you have you to think about yes, yeah yes. I mean if you still have dependents at home in Singapore yeah. or in your home country for that matter you want to send money to your parents to whoever is uh, dependent on you mm-hmm. you have to factor that in Absolutely. to your expenses your monthly expenses right yeah. hello everyone my name is Crispina and I'm Adrian and we're the hosts of a podcast called Work It If you've never heard of it, well, it's a good time to tap in. In the last 20 episodes, we've discussed topics like how to negotiate for a salary increase or how to get along with younger colleagues who have different values from you, which incidentally is our top performing episode. If work consumes your life and you want some perspective on issues like management, stress, even office romance, then this podcast should be on your list. A new episode drops every Monday. Catch us on the CNA app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so good thing that you brought up living in effectively two different cities. By the very virtue of that alone, you have to consider playing by the rules 
of your new place of residence as well as your current place of residence, mm. i.e. Singapore or wherever your home base will be, how can we balance our budget paying for taxes in both countries? Let's just say you work for a Singaporean company and they pay you in Singapore dollars. Mm-hmm. I think you only pay taxes on your salary in Singapore. So I think it's about having agreement with your employer on how this is going to work. Because mm. if not, then who wants to pay taxes? On both countries, yeah, right? that's painful. Yeah, I think the other thing to know is also that sometimes I know Singapore's income tax is relatively low mm-hmm. compared to other countries. So some countries, if you start to earn a lot of money, the effective tax rate on especially the higher tiers of the salary mm. can be as high as forty percent. Mm. I think in countries such as Australia, it's, Australia has yeah, a very high wrong. tax rate. Yeah. 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 Of course, it goes back to all their social services and all that. So it's all like a trade-off. Yeah, that yeah. only comes back to you if you stay there long term. Yeah. That's yeah. true. Yeah, that was what I was going to say as well. Yeah. It's It doesn't all go back to yeah. you. It does benefit the country in a way. Mm. It leads me to my next question. We must not forget about our CPF contribution. My dad never worked overseas. He worked in Singapore, but he always, almost exclusively worked for foreign companies. Mm. And obviously, the onus is on you, the individual, the worker, to make your voluntary CPF contribution. And obviously, Obviously, sometimes people forget, people don't do it, whatever mm. it may be. What's your advice here on managing your CPF funds when you're overseas? If the employer isn't able to make that arrangement for you, considering the fact that employer is based overseas? Mm. Well, you could collect all the money that you have and one like every month, then you pump it all at one shot. Mm. I think that is the best way to go about doing it. If not, then... Because I think without CPA, actually, most people won't be saving money. Mm. Yes. Right. So it has to be like a concerted uh, effort. And also because in the long term, you'll be returning to Singapore. You need to start to, you know, kind of put money in Singapore. Unless, let's say, you want, you want to migrate to somewhere else. Or yeah, then that's a whatever. different question altogether. Yeah. yeah. But I think in general, Singapore's low investor tax, dividends are not taxed. Mm. CPF, you know, gives for SA 4%, 4% every year. I think that is a pretty good deal for most Singaporeans who intend to work overseas. Mm. Mm, okay. And what about you, Weichun? Like so for me, I don't know if I'm gonna spend my I don't know beyond sixty five years old in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Like my dream right now is at some point of my life be able to build my own house. Because I can't build a landed property in Singapore. No. Like, that is way <laughs> too expensive. You like. may not even need this job. Yeah, yeah. So so well, I'll probably do it in either Malaysia or I don't know, maybe Japan, mm. something like that. But I think Malaysia is the highest likelihood. So if I have a bunch of money that's locked up here, not locked up, la, I mean like you you get it. Yeah, uh, I mean, it is accumulating of, while you are working still in Singapore. Yeah, and, and it's a good thing. Like, I think 4% is great, for especially for people who don't have the discipline to invest themselves. Mm. So I, I'm sort of a bit stuck because I, I don't know. I, I still would like a life in Singapore. So I feel like I'm stepping on two boats at once and I'm not really sure when to get off or whether I can maintain both. And I think I can mm. because I can still maintain half of my leg here in Singapore and then go somewhere else. I think Singapore is cosmopolitan enough in that respect. And also, I think the proximity between Singapore and Malaysia is very close. Yeah, culturally as well. Exactly. So so you're not really too far away from home, so to speak. Yeah, so in this case, I think I'm still going to see what happens. Mm. Okay, interesting perspective. Yeah, I think you also have to see what country you're in and compare it to Singapore to see which investments will will do better. Yeah, Yeah. Sometimes even though, let's say, the country you're in, you know, let's say the bank gives very good interest rates higher than Singapore. But you have to remember like currency uh, depreciation also. Mm. And in general, Sing dollar has been one of the all-round performers yeah. in the yeah. world because uh, of the, the monetary policy. For now. Mm. Yeah. For now, for now. For, for now. <laughs> Knock on wood. Yes. Okay, another important bit is insurance. Yeah. What should we check or take note of from our current policies? And if our company doesn't provide medical coverage, what's our next step? Wow. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is very true. But I mean, obviously, you ask your financial advisor whether mm. the policy will, will cover you while overseas. Mm-hmm. I used to think it's buying a travel <laughs> insurance policy, but mm. that's not the case. I mean, I only, mm. I only found out like a, a few years ago, you have to kind of buy a policy over there. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing, right? Because you don't know if what you have currently is going to be transferable. Yeah. Yeah. I think really best is you work out an arrangement with your employer, mm. right? Yeah. As part of the and they should. incentive for you to move there. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, if they're sending you there, they're willing to fork out that much to send you there to represent them there. They should yeah. at least cover you on the very basic level. Mm. Okay, so... All the costs that we discussed just now are factors to consider when negotiating our salary package with this prospective employer. So how can we ensure that it's worth our while? I know you touched on this, a little bit on this when it comes to insurance, but how else can we negotiate such that, okay, I'm well covered, what else do I need to do to make sure that I'm set for this move? The way I would think about it is that if you want to work overseas, Doing it through an employer is not your only choice and sometimes you might want to do so to experience a place. So mm. the experience also is something that you have to account for as something that you can get. But of course, when you negotiate, you cannot say, I would love to be here so I'm willing to take less salary. No, yeah. la, right? So things like rent, you got to think about rent. How much have they covered for you? Is it covered for a long time? Or do they give you an allowance and you go and find yourself? Mm. So you also have to do a lot of due diligence and see what kind of place you would like to live in, how much it would cost and stuff like that. Mm. Then there's also things like lifestyle costs and whether they account for your spouse or your close ones or your pet, I don't know, to move here with you <laughs> or not. Yeah. And all these things you have to account. I'm just very nervous about these things because I feel like for employers to do these kind of things, nowadays I feel like the relationship between a job and you is, is much shorter. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people like to jump around and stuff. Mm. So, if, and that's not just the employer side. Like, I think like younger people also have yeah. the tendency to want to do that. And I, I, that's not that. a question of loyalty. That's just the way the, way the job the market, market is, is now. Yeah. yeah. So, so all these things like you can account for. I know people who try to get an employer to send them somewhere so that they can get their first foot somewhere and then to ideally then build their own life there, whether mm-hmm. they're with the current employer or not. Also. Yeah, it's up to them ultimately. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. next step is up to them. I think I'll go back to what I said earlier about calculating what is the uh, net increase in net worth you can have every month. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Let's say in Singapore, every month I save 2K, right? So that'll be 2K, 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 2K yes. every month. Then yes. let's say I go London, maybe they pay me more money, but I only can save 1K, 1K, 1K mm-hmm. every month. So it's for me, if you want to look at the numbers first, that would be the most important thing right. to look at. Just to measure against what you currently can do with your money yeah. versus what you're going to be able to do in the next country. Yeah, because it's like, you are a company, then you have to manage your cash flow, your expenses and everything. So it's about seeing which one works better for you and whether or not it aligns with, with your goals. Of course, as Wei Chun mentioned earlier, you know, experience is very important. And sometimes experience will also allow you to get more important roles. For example, if you are Singaporean that only work in Singapore, mm-hmm. it's quite hard for you to command a regional role without any overseas exposure. Yes. So you can't exactly quantify that in terms of just money mm. also. So maybe you realising that, okay, you know, I do this thing, I save less money, but maybe next time it leads to a more, a bigger role in the future. Yeah, it's a bit more nuanced, that decision-making process, isn't it? It's not just down to the dollars and cents. It's also things like, you know, your social experience, the foot in the door that you were talking about, Weichun, right? What is this eventually going to get me? What is my ROI taking up this position on top of the fact that the company that I'm going to be working for is covering me sufficiently? Yeah, and then I think also some people will prioritize money. In fact, the experience is negative. Let, let's say, like, for example, the company will send you to some offshore drilling thing 
for six months and you earn a lot of money mm. but there's risk of like bad weather pirates or whatever <laughs> I mean very often if the pay is high the place is an undesirable place yes, yes. to live in because yeah. you, they are offering you that much more to cover your risk yeah exactly. either undesirable or it's desirable but the cost of living is super high Oh yeah. Usually yeah. it's a positive yeah. correlation. It's commensurate, right? It's, it's like a trade-off, it's trade-off. Are there any places that are like, well, I earn a lot here but it's cheap and it's a very nice place? No, right? Unless no. you like Bali, that kind. Yeah. Right? But then, Unless you like... But let's say you, you go Bali, chances are the salary will be, be lower. Oh yeah, that's right. That's, yeah. That's mm-hmm. not it's all adjusted not for... Not as much competition. I think the money has to be enough to sustain you. Nah, you have to pay me to suffer. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. I think this comes back to Wei Chun's point about how you want to do this kind of thing, you want to slog and suffer and struggle in a manner of speaking, do it when you're young. Preferably before you have kids even so that you have the energy and the bandwidth to just deal with it, earn that money, come back home, retire or retire somewhere else. Actually, I feel like Mm. there is something like that. Mm. Even in the nice, like, high standard of living in Singapore Mm -hmm. and the equivalent of that to me is people from Malaysia who commute here or they even stay here but they save money by living in very low cost kind of lifestyle. Ultimately, I guess it boils down to the choices we make Mm -hmm. and it brings me back to, I mean, it's full circle this conversation. It brings us back to what we said at the start of the conversation. What are your goals? What are your expectations when you want to take this job abroad? And, you know, I've never had an offer to work overseas. I've worked for overseas companies before, but I think given the conversation that I've had with the two of you today, I I think it makes it clearer the fact that you really need to make a lot of financial considerations, Mm. lots of homework to be done, lots of questions you need to ask your prospective employer or even the current employer who wants to send you there. Mm. And it's... Like you said, the opportunity sometimes, the questions need to go beyond the money, the dollars and cents. I actually have a point to add. Also. Yeah. Is, is it? No, no, go back. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> look at people laptop. Sorry, sorry. No, I mean, sometimes working overseas, you don't always need to be an employee also, right? So let's say you go over there, you go start a business. I mm. think you might find that the market is bigger, there are more opportunities. Make a pond. Yeah, and then like, Maybe because of the currency difference, the chance of failure might not be as catastrophic. And the right. amount of, I guess, support, subsidies available to foreign investors might be a different, might be more favourable to you, right? Depending mm. on where you're going. But that's another conversation for another yeah, time. I'm afraid we'll have to leave it there. So, are you still thinking about taking that overseas job offer? Well, now that we've given you a very good behind-the-scenes look at the financial components of moving abroad, I might say, we hope you now have a solid checklist to refer to. Thanks, gentlemen, for walking us through the considerations for this. It was great to have you on the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you. And thank you to you, listener. If you've enjoyed this episode of Money Talks, there's always more content for you to enjoy and tune into. Simply follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can give us five stars while you're there. Even leave a review. We're waiting for your comments and feedback. The team behind Money Talks is Jacqueline Chan, Joanne Chan, Tiffany Ang, Crispina Robin, Saya Wint, Jessalyn Tan. And I'm Andrea Hing. Money Talks.